Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the third season of the Connect2 podcast and our first episode for the year 2024. Yeah, well, it'll... Uh... I guess technically it'll be the second one that's dropped. Oh, yeah. Second one, first one that we're recording. Yes. My name is Jeff Cullen. And I'm Mark Hughes. Marcus, how are you? Happy New Year. I'm good. I'm a little far away from this mic. I'm a little closer now. Yeah. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year to you, too. 2024 is reasonable. (laughs) Uh, So far, it's about about to enter the deep freeze. It is about to get cold. And I, you know, I have very mixed feelings about that. The, the longer it's been warm, the more you think, as uh, cur- you know, worrisome as this is in terms of the big picture, it is kind of pleasant. Now I hear it's going to be minus twenty-two, and I'm like, oh, yeah, exactly. Well, and normal it, uh, but uncomfortable. Well, I mean, the weather has been kind of like this cross between Edmonton, Vancouver, and uh, Toronto. Right. So Toronto in about October, there's like clouds descend and it's cloudy for until April. Right. Like overcast. Yeah. The whole time. Uh, Vancouver alternates and is super warm, but is kind of wet. Yes. And Edmonton has sunny days. And we've had kind of a combination. Right. We've had kind of the mild no snow of Toronto, the, uh, the, the spring-like weather without the moisture of right. Vancouver and, uh, and the sunny days of Edmonton. Yeah. But, well, let, let us hope that uh, there is, if it's going to be cold... Let's hope that there is some snow, some snow, and some because man, it's looking pretty spooky. The ski hills were pretty, pretty not. There's not no snow, not a lot of snow. Uh, But I think the biggest concern is this. You know, come springtime and summer, particularly in in southern Alberta, well, fire, but also uh, the agricultural uh, industry, which uh, you know. I don't think gets a lot of love sometimes in the in the greater picture, but it's a pretty important industry in in not only the province but for the country. Yeah. Those people looking at like no water, it's a bit of a concern. Definitely not good. Yeah. So hopefully, it uh, we get a big huge dump and uh, forty days of rain. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't want that. No, that that's the Noah Ark thing. <laughs> um, so today's coffee. We have coffee. Always coffee it's we have. From Nima Aliedi Juarez by 94 Celsius. Mm. So uh, 94 Celsius is, where is 94 Celsius at? I should know. I'll figure it out. I'm drinking this out of an old Sintra cup. Yeah. Wow. We've got two old Sintra cups. Oh, yeah. There you go. Different, different logos. Yeah. Um, what do I think of this coffee? I think it's out of Montreal. A bit bitter. Uh, it's from Peru. The region is San Ignacio. Altitude is uh, 1719. Okay. And notes are pear, vanilla, creme brulee, and macadamia nuts. <laughs> and I believe 94 Celsius. I think it's out of Montreal. I don't know why I'm not. Seeing it on, I, there's like a, a yeah, note. Pretty together. tasty. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's really good. So, um, any dad jokes? <laughs> so I do. I have a. Uh, okay, so there's this uh, a traffic cop sitting on the side of a uh, a road, you know, with a radar gun, and all of a sudden he sees a car coming by. And it's doing like 40 kilometers an hour. 
And he thinks to himself, well, that's a problem because it, although speeders, everybody knows about slow moving vehicles can be a risk as well. So he turns on the lights, gets behind his car and pulls over, walks up to the car and there's like five elderly women (laughs) in the car, including one who's driving. And she's like, what's the problem officer? He says, I'm afraid you're traveling a little bit too slowly. You know, it's as much of a hazard as uh, speeders. So I've, I, I pulled you over. And she's like, well, I don't understand, officer. I was doing exactly the speed limit, exactly 40 kilometers an hour. And the cop is confused for a second. And then he sort of blinks and he goes, wait a minute. This is Highway 40. <laughs> That's not the speed limit. That's the number of the highway. And she's like, oh, my God, I was totally confused. I'm so, I'm so glad you told me. And then he notices that the other four women in the car, all elderly, are, first of all, none of them have said anything. And they actually all look quite like shell-shocked, right? Their eyes are wide and they all look pale. And he's like, are these women all right? And she looks back and she goes, oh, they'll be fine. Uh, in a few minutes, we we just came off Route 160. <laughs> exactly. I, I tell you, one day I was in the park and I was wondering why Frisbees uh, get bigger. And then it hit me. <laughs> oh my god what do you call a bee with a quiet buzz uh a bee with a quiet buzz a mumblebee mumblebee i wonder if was this book written by ai <laughs> oh that'd be funny ask chat gpt to write some dad jokes well they yeah the chat gpt will write dad jokes and they're better now now on chat gpt4 i finally got the subscription oh good good for you yeah carry on a uh, credit card company sent me another camouflage bill. It's the, um, it's those hidden charges that you really have to watch out for. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and what do you call a snake that's three point one meter, three point one four meters long? Three point one four, a snake that's three point one four meters long. Yeah. Uh, something about pie. Python. A python. There you go. Of course. And why do you have to be careful when it's raining uh, cats and dogs? Are you going to get hit in the head? You might step in a poodle. <laughs> hey, did I tell you I know all of the uh, numbers to pi? <laughs> up to 10,000? Just not in order. All right. <laughs> uh... <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh, what'd you learn this week? What did I learn this week? Oh boy. What did I learn this week? Something positive. Well, I, I've been watching some Neil deGrasse Tyson on, is it Facebook? He, he does this thing where he's being interviewed by another gentleman whose name I don't know. And it's always just fascinating to see little tidbits. So he's talking about how. Oh, that's, I think that's on his uh, YouTube show. Yeah. And they, they kind of do this banter. And it's yeah, like and the guy talk, is always... Talk, like talking space talk. I think it's called space could talk. Could be. So he was talking about how uh, when your car is driving down the road, at any given second, um, there's a part of your car that is actually has a velocity of zero. And there's a part of your car that has a velocity that's twice your traveling velocity. And it's on your wheels. So, and then he went to prove it mathematically. So if your car is doing hundred kilometers an hour, 
right at any given second that that one whatever part is touching, touching the ground, ground is ground going zero zero and the top of the wheel immediately opposite is actually traveling at uh, 200 right. kilometers an hour yeah. right that's right so that was pretty interesting particularly the the mathematical uh, breakdown of it right yeah you have a translational and a rotational speed yeah cool so i thought that was interesting um what we talked about that brain matter on the on the chip last week so i didn't learn anything new about that although it is kind of disturbing <laughs> yeah it's, I, it was kind of interesting i mean i always really enjoy um as i'm editing the the uh the uh, the podcast although it is a lot more difficult because of the size of the the files out of this gizmo yeah uh, that it takes a lot longer just to get set up but um the uh to go through and find out you know reference things that you and right. i have been talking about so it's kind of cool uh, i'm not sure how many people take advantage of taking a look at it but it's kind of fun to go through i'm reading a good book uh on prospecting mm -hmm. and will be followed by a, a book on cold calling. So somebody recommended these two books to me. They're really good. I was, so I learned that the percentage of salespeople in the modern world who refuse and or totally are freaked out by cold calling is phenomenally high. Mm -hmm. So the author is quite entertaining in his, let's say, critique of a lot of these web-based uh, sales experts who try to sell systems that basically would allow people to avoid the uncomfortable thing. And he's quite candid. He goes, let's be honest. Everybody hates cold calling, cold calling, even if you're really good at it, which I'm getting pretty good at it. Um, most people don't like it because it's, you're exposed. I don't know what's happened to me. I mean, I, there would have been a time I would have been totally, uh, it doesn't bother me at all. Like the fact that people are going to say no, uh, I seem to have transcended that. And now I'm thinking, oh, imagine if I'd had this power as a young man, like in the dating scene, because it's the same. As I was reading this, I'm thinking it's the same thing, right? People are terrified of rejection. Whereas the few of us in sales or in life, once you get past that, you're like, I don't know, just walk up to this person. Say hello. Hey, how's it going? Right. And if they're like, get away, you're like, eh, whatever. But so much of us are are terrified of that. And this the fact that there's this whole, well, I would say there's an industry for salespeople, how to avoid the sales thing. And there's a, we know there's a whole like dating for men industry, which is also about systems and, you know, and it's all just BS. It just, yeah. it just requires being willing to be looking stupid and have someone say, <laughs> right and being okay with that so it's quite fascinating so i'm learning a lot of that books are well written um yeah very cool so that would be my gonna you know, get my kids to read at least one of the books for uh because i've been telling both of them go get a sales job like i wish i'd done it 30 years ago i wish i'd gone and you know at the time like a lot of people high school to college, right into university. If I go back, I'd say take six months, a year off, go sell cars, go sell brushes, whatever, and just get used to that part That's, of the world, which is being retail, the retail customer service. Yeah. Thing. Being, you know, being slammed doors and then realizing, Hey, I'm okay. Like I didn't die. 
And uh, I think it would have been a very useful skill um, at 25 as opposed to, well, soon to be 57. My birthday is in four days. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, early happy birthday. Thank you. I'm really bad at remembering when people's birthdays are. It's okay. Um, what did I learn? Um, so, so they were able to take photos of Uranus. Uranus? <laughs> um... Just a minute. Yeah. <laughs> With the, is this, the this James is, Webb This telephone. is not a jet dad joke? No, no, no. Okay. So so the thing that's interesting about Uranus is that it's one of the least... Uranus, yes. That's a good way of pronouncing it. Uranus is one, Ur of, the, Uranus. one of the least uh, studied um, uh, planets. Really? Yeah. And because it's far. Because people are embarrassed? No, it's far. And, uh, and it... It has a tilt that goes like ninety degrees. Oh yeah. So that so and the James Webb Telescope was just able to take a photo or an image of uh, Uranus um, with it at ninety degrees in such a way that they, you can actually see all the rings at uh, not edge on but flat on. Oh yeah. And uh, so it's like one of the best photos. You see the polar wow. ice cap. Uh, you can see now. Is that the one that has the pen Pentagon at the at the, uh, or is that Jupiter? One of the planets, gaseous planets, and this gets the uh, the the UFO people really excited. There is a honest to goodness, perfectly square or close to pentagram Pentagon at the pole in the storm. And people are like, oh, it's aliens. And scientists and chaos theory people have said, no, it's, it's these things do occur in, in nature sometimes. I don't know about that. That's that's, why, I don't think that's Uranus, but uh, okay. might, it might Uranus. Be, it, might or... be, uh, it might be Jupiter or maybe even Saturn. I'll look it up. But there's one that has a clear geometric shape at the pole mm -hmm. in the cloud pattern. And uh, people immediately like, oh, it's aliens. And other scientists are like, well, we're not saying it's not, but it could just be, you know, eddies and things create shape sometimes yeah. just naturally. It could be Klingons yeah. circling Uranus. Okay, so they've managed to get a photo of it, not so, edge of the ring, but. But with the rings flat on. That's cool. because Because the tilt is 90 degrees. So right. it's basically pointing, the North Pole is pointing straight at us. Interesting. And they were able to... Uh, now, is it, it permanently? No, it... it, it so, it, it rotates. It, yeah, it switches. Oh, interesting. So, it's kind of... Yeah. It just tilts a lot more than we do. We tilt, right. what, 23 degrees? Something like that. I was just reading, again, <laughs> in, in, a, in a scientific page that shows up on Facebook, so take that for what you will, that I guess there's some actually solid theoretical evidence for a ninth planet uh in the solar system that uh now scientists being scientists because they haven't found it yet it remains theoretical but i guess there's a lot of of calculations that look at uh, uh the effect of gravity and and weird things like uh uranus perhaps having a wobble or like when they look at the whole big picture and all these gravitational effects, it seems that there's some kind of massive, because they can do it. A I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, a Newtonian physics, right? I mean, complicated, but you start doing it and it's like, well, if there was a thing here that weighed, uh, 
you know, like a lot, 10 times heavier than earth. So they're calling it potentially a super earth that would explain all of these phenomena, but we just, we can't see it. We haven't been able to get a picture of it, but yeah, I, it seems like there could be something there. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I was reading or was listening to something specifically about that and they had an explanation for it and it might be like a dark matter thing. So, uh, right. So, uh, but I, I can't remember. Um, what else did Which I would learn? still be exciting because we've never, as far as I know, they've never physically proven dark matter, right? Well, it's another theoretical construct that explains why a bunch of matter seems to be missing from the universe. Like it's not visible to us. It's got to be somewhere. Well, I think, I think they do understand dark matter, but that's a good question. I'll look it up. Yeah. I don't know much about it. Um, the other thing I was watching, I've been watching, there's this, this guy, his name is Mark late Lake. Okay. Uh, uh, and he's a photographer, but he does these interviews of people. And so if you go on YouTube, all the, um, the thumbnails and the, the title cards are these black and white. Images. I know this guy. And oh, yeah. the people he like, and he gets them to open up about, these are people you would not normally meet. Right. I've seen a few of these right? interviews. So like, like he's also famous for having interviewed a, a, a family of inbred, uh, uh, yeah. uh, call them rural folk. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but very protective. I guess he's interviewed them a couple of times and he won't tell anybody where these folks live. They're in Appalachia somewhere, but he doesn't want, he doesn't want a bunch of knuckleheads showing up to, to uh, pester these people. So he keeps it very secret, but yeah, I've seen, you know, late, he's late, had like, how do you pronounce that? Later? Later. Later. Yeah. Later. He's had, uh, ex NYPD detectives. He's had people who were involved and are perhaps still involved in prostitution. He's had people oh, convicted wow. for murder, like all kinds, all of, kinds of, it's fascinating. Like, like it's just, it's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's quite something. And, uh, he's doing, he did one with a nymphomaniac, an ex porn actress, right. a stripper, and these people, they open up and like, yeah. and, and then prostitutes and all kinds of very unusual people. And, yeah. you know, their lifestyle, these are, some of these people are pretty broken. Oh, oh man, God. I know. And, and, and their lack of no, self-awareness of how broken they are is yeah. a lot of, a lot of uh, childhood sex abuse yep. and molestation and broken families. And it's quite something. Anyway. Were we were we talking about that? Was I talking about that with somebody else? There's a series that popped up on YouTube of uh, uh, child molesters who were killed in prison, and uh, the first guy is the guy who killed one of these people, and he was already in prison for murder, so. Speaking about being a broken person, you know, unsurprisingly, his story was, yeah, he was molested as a child and he got into crime and eventually wound up being convicted for murder. So they put a, a child molester in this guy's cell 
it's so very not, so the, the video is this guy in court after all this happened he's just very nonchalant he's like your honor can i tell my story and the judge is like sure because like so basically they put this guy in my cell i found out he was a child molester i told him he had to leave the next morning right it's like you're gonna have to move out buddy and then he says, then the guy wouldn't shut up. He proceeded to try to justify to me for hours about why this, that, and the other thing. So finally I decided to kill him. So I put my belt around his neck and I choked him to death and killed the son of a bitch. And now he's dead and I'm not sorry. And the judge is like, okay, yeah, no, you know, thanks for telling us. So yeah, it's like, like, you know, the guy has no defense. Like he doesn't try to deny it. He's like, no, I'm just what are you going to do? Tack on another life sentence to my, he's already like serving three, but I, I thought it was so interesting the way he's like, I hadn't planned on killing the guy, but he wouldn't shut up. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. I About mean, what he did and, and why he did it. And I'm like, I'm just like the ultimate, I'm not here for it, man. So uh, I, I don't know why I thought that was, I mean, it's tragic, but at the same time it, it is somewhat amusing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how he gets these people. So there's like stuff about life and love stories. Well, that... obviously he's very empathetic. Yeah. He probably no light. I've seen him interviewed when they were interviewing him, and what I what I took away from it, and this is a while back, but he seemed like a guy who was first of all very respectful. Yeah. Right. Like he's not trying Let to ex- them tell their story. He's not exploiting these people. He's not judging them. He's not trying to make some kind of point. He is literally a documentarian, a witness. And he's just like, Hey, well, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, he, so all, all the, all the title cards are black and white. Yeah. And then all the videos, I mean, you never see him. He's no. not, part, he just, you hear him ask questions. Yep. And um, all the interviews are black and white too, are they not? No, no, they're all color. Oh, they're in color. Yeah, okay. and basically, just with a studio, um, uh, they basically sit on a stool and they have uh, usually one camera pointed at yeah. them, and then just uh, with uh, with a studio backdrop. Yeah, like so, it's a white backdrop. Very. No, no, it's like it's like a colored studio. Oh, okay. It's like stuff I have. It's my memory is not. But anyway, uh, it's called Soft White Underbelly. Anyway, yes. uh, so today though, so fascinating. Uh, moving from one extreme to another, we're going to talk about yet another, um, and and I use the word cautiously, celebrity, neurodiverse celebrity, because you know we've been doing interviews of uh, or interviews or deep deep uh, dives into yeah to a bit about people who are have become celebrities of one form or another, right? Who are also happen to be neurodiverse. Why? I don't know. Just uh, something interesting. Yep. Um, especially since uh, I've gotten uh, quite a bit of exposure to people who are neuro- neurodiverse. So I think it gives me a different perspective um, in terms of understanding what these people are going through. So today we're going to talk about Temple Grand- Grandin, Dr. Temple Grandin. So okay. she's uh, 73 years old. Wow. She is... Um, she is, so she was born in 47, oh, 76, sorry. Uh, she was born in Boston. She's an American scientist and an industrial designer. Mm. And she's autistic, but she was only really diagnosed with being autistic um, as an adult. Okay. As a child, she was nonverbal until three or four. Okay. Um, and um, Back in a time when. And had lots of behavioral knew. problems. Lots. 
Um, now I know the name, so she is of note enough that I'm aware of her, but I don't really know much about what she does or her story. So her story, so she is, uh, well, it's, it's super fascinating. Uh, so she has kind of two things that she focuses on. Okay. So, I mean, she's, uh, she, what, what they call autistic, uh, autistic savant. She's like, she, she's like Asperger's. She's an, so Temple Grandin. So she, she used her autism as a bit of a superpower. She considers it a bit of a superpower. Now, um, so she has two things. One is on animal, um, humane treatment of animals. Okay. Particularly uh, with the slaughterhouse industry. Oh, uh, yeah. She uses the word slaughterhouse. She prefers it rather than meat processing or or dairy Euphemisms. So like, so like the, George Carlin used to say, soft language, right? Yeah. Let's go back to being but more she honest. She thinks it's better if people are a bit more yeah. reasonable. But it's quite right. interesting what interesting. she did. With that, and the other part is uh, as an advocate for autism. Interesting. So she basically says that like, it's kind of like two. There's two groups of autistic. Yeah, within, you know, they they say with autism, if you meet an autistic person, you've met one. Autistic yes, person. you've so mentioned that before. Very yeah. difficult to yeah. generalize too much, but she basically says that within autism, there's kind of like two large groups. Okay. There's one group which is basically. Um, the group that can can manage in society and right. will use some of the features of their autism as a bit of a superpower. Sure. Um, but it's always a bit of a struggle right. in, in other aspects. Sure. And then the other group is people who will always struggle and right. they really, they don't have that superpower part. Right. Okay. Right. So, um, so she, she, uh, so, so we'll talk about both. Uh, both aspects because basically so she identified that she's um that within autism she thinks that there's like three main groups of people okay um and there are basically people who are primarily visual learners they learn everything visually okay um others that are pattern learners okay so they these so a visual learner might be like an artist or sure but basically divide Everything is recorded as in their brain more as images and less as anything else. Then there's pattern, which tends to be mathematicians and okay. engineers and right. uh, the people who can see a lot of the details. Yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the third group are the verbal, um, people who are verbal learners. And she says that a lot of the neurotypical people uh, tend to be more along, more have a more of affinity towards the verbal learners. Okay. But for so her, these categorizations, they're very. Are, these are very broad. No, but they don't just. It's not just neurodiverse. No, and 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 everybody falls into these sort of. She, she says that, and, but she says in particular with autism, these are these are emphasized. Okay. What is she a doctor of, by the way? Uh, animal science. Oh, animal science. Okay. So, so she, um, so she is. Um, so with her, so verbal. Uh, so she considers herself to be a visual uh, learner. She learns things visually. She struggles with patterns, things like she couldn't manage al algebra because uh, it, that's all about patterns. But right. if you'd given her trigonometry or geometry, she would she would have done fine. Interesting. So uh, so so um, now she had she she was actually there. They had a a path, a, a fork in the road. Okay. Where her, 
mother was a huge advocate for her and said she's really smart. We need to we need to protect her and encourage her and nurture her. Sure. So um and and mom won in the end. Mm -hmm. Dad what the, all the the doctors were saying she needed to be institutionalized because of her behavior issues. Right, right. And uh dad was ready to go along but mom prevailed. And then mom divorced and then new new dad was also supportive of ah interesting now temple grandin uh so one of the things that's common with a lot of neurodiverse people is they tend to be sensitive to proprioception which is um you know feeling your body mm -hmm. like a pressure on your body yeah yeah and, yeah yeah um, absolutely they tend to like hugs or they uh, like big hugs yeah. Um, but they may also be super sensitive to just touch like um, fabrics mm -hmm. um, or um, or sound. Yes. And so she's a visual learner and she discovered a few things that animals in general are all visual learners. Yeah. They don't have language. So that's not really that's part of how they learn things, but they learn things in images. Right. They can't, so, they can't write anything down either. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so... So what she discovered and, and sort of what she's done, and she's really quite phenomenally or profoundly uh, uh, affected the meat processing industry and sure. uh, the slaughterhouse industry. Right. Because um, what she identified were um, like cows have, their eyes are on either side of their heads. Right. So they kind of have like a 360 degree view of, the world and they're programmed oh, to be really? scared of things right so scared of fast moving things right. scared of so there's lots of things that scared them so what they found was that the farmers and the ranchmen who were doing this they were just building simple uh, uh paths to the slaughterhouse with like fences and stuff like that that the cows could see out of and they would see things that would flutter and a chain hanging or whatever and yeah, it yeah. would move and it would scare, scare them, them. <clears throat> and um okay wait may i say that before we go on i quite enjoy eating beef uh our conversation last week about the octopus <laughs> we went to uh 97th street hot pot oh yeah or um uh, New Year's Eve dinner. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do the octopus. Couldn't do the octopus. <laughs> I've had octopus before where it was in little pieces. Thank God I said no, because these came, they were, they were complete full baby octopus. Oh, great. And I was like. Yeah. Can't so do it. I started talking and my wife's like, shut up. <laughs> she didn't have any either, but she didn't want to ruin it for the boys. But I was immediately aware of this idea of how intelligent and likely sentient these things are and i'm like i can't do it i can't have an octopus for some reason i can still do uh, uh squid because as far as i know nobody said they're as smart as octopus but when it came to octopus i was just like nope yeah, nope can't do it so now hearing about cows i'm afraid i'm going to become like listen temple, temple grandin is definitely not so what she is she is not a vegetarian she okay. is okay but her big thing is making so they're basically meat is significantly affected by fear. So if the animals are fearful, when it, you kill it, it affects it. And the other thing sure. that she identified was that uh, that um, that if animals that are hurt um, affect other animals that are hurt around them. Right. So if uh, floors are slippery and the animals are 
falling over and hurting themselves, it actually, it has a compound effect on the other animals around. Right. Okay. Whereas, so an anti-slip floors has a dramatic improvement in the quality of the beef and the quality of, uh, of the, like the, basically they're not scared. So she goes into these slaughterhouses. And so the first thing she did is she walked the path that, um, that the cows were taking and discovered that they could see all this stuff that was a problem. So, um, and what she did is basically they put like white sheets. So now all of a sudden the, much calmer. Instead of seeing between the fences, which mm-hmm. the cows could see, the fence uh, boards. Yep. Now it's just, and they're calmer, and the quality of meat went way up, mm. and the experience for the animals was way better. And then she goes in and discovers that essentially what she really discovered was there was some significant management issues with the meat processing industry in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And really, and what, I can't imagine. And what the problem was, was they were not really, they weren't really taking any kind of perspective on how important it was for the animals. Like if you have. Well, sure. Uh, and I'm not surprised because look, even in science, right? For a long time, the whole idea that, that animals could feel any kind of pain was sort of like, well, I don't think they can feel pain. So they would do experiments and. You know, it took a long time for some of those ethical standards to well, come into place. Well, well and according even to with Temple, lab rats, it, right? According to Temple Grandin, is that th- the problem is that animal science kind of ignored all the neuro- neurology science, sure, where they had done all these animal studies and it proved like there's hundreds and hundreds of papers that talk about the emotions that animals have. Right. But it never made it to the animal science thing. It was wow. always just on the brain and how it related to humans. Sure. And so she, well, this would be she what, made these links. Well, this would be what Al would have called an inconvenient truth. Exactly. Right? It's like, la, 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 la. We don't want it because it's extra cost and there's a moral Well, and, and it's not just, turpitude it's to not it. just beef. It was like the dairy industry. Of so course. uh chickens scared scared uh, dairy cows don't produce as much milk so well look at the conditions in in some of these chicken farms you know there's been that whole debate for years the free-range chickens versus the ones that are locked in these tiny little cages mobile cages i'm sure in the pork industry it's because cows uh pigs are super intelligent yeah, right? so this is so, so this is this man. is these are kind of the areas that she's had a profound effect. Like okay. so she goes into these uh slaughterhouses and discovered that at the time they were only about uh only about 30% of the, the beef processing plants were able to stun the cows with a single shot. Okay. Oh so, yeah. So so all of a sudden 70% of them required a second shot. So now they're scared. Yeah. Right? Well, and in pain. And it turns out this was almost an entirely a management issue and a lack of maintenance of the, like the equipment was not working properly. Sure. So, uh, so 70% were not, 70% were not. So you mainly stunned with the stunning thing. So just a, a slight processing, uh, processing issue. And, uh, they're able to have a huge improvement in the quality of the, sure dairy and the meat just by maintenance issues right. and you know who's sure that they, they probably hired who anton shagor consultant 
Uh, he's the very scary character in uh, No Country for Old Men. Okay, he's yeah. killing people with one of those with those stunners. Stunners, yeah. boom. Yeah, yeah. And and so the whole thing is that uh, I mean, she had. Oh, oh my god, I the can't other, imagine the other thing she discovered. I mean, she was one of these people who you know with autism, she needed she needed proprioception. So she actually built herself or herself a hug box. So basically this oh. is a box that basically steps in and it kind of puts pressure on her. Right. Calms her down. Okay. Turns out these work great for cows. Wow. It calms the cows down. So she has this thing called a central and it basically they walk up and there's a hug box. It hugs the cows and they calm right down. And so it's kind of this whole thing where she is, she is, uh, she's basically used a lot of this visual thing. So they, they had a, um, a veterinary station yeah. where they were having problems where all the animals, like the horses and the, the cows were terrified of this veterinary station. Uh, and so they were thinking, well, they're going to have to tear it down and build it up. And so she shows up and she says, no, your problem is super simple. You have a flag. And the flag is fluttering and it's high contrast and it is scaring the crap out of the horses and the cows. Move the flag. Because if the flag's not in the view of the horses, and the, then, it, then it was fine. So by moving a flag, she saved millions of dollars in terms of a veterinary station wow. that was well for large animals. I wonder what so. her bill was for that <laughs> yeah, consultation. Exactly. It's the old... Uh... The chalk and five thousand dollars and for my time, fifty thousand dollars for knowing where to you didn't have to tear the building down. So anyway, so she is a staunch wow. advocate. She's written all but kinds she's not she's not opposed to people eating animals. Oh no. This is this is this is her thing, right? Like she, she's all about food processing. Interesting. She's just aware of that intense fear and um, because yeah. she was hypersensitive of touch and sound that is, that is and it amazing. is common to animals. So sure. she was able to use her knowledge of how she reacts to the world to improve how animals right. are treated. Cause what they really, one of the things that they found is like, uh, were the cows aware that they were going to the slaughterhouse? Were they scared of that? And what they did is they did this sheets thing where they put sheets and they had, one track that was going to the slaughterhouse and one that was going to the vet to for a checkup. Right. And there was no difference with the sheets. Right. Between the two paths. So they so the sheets were gone, it was a huge difference because right. the, the 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 cows were aware of what was what was oh. going on. So the sheets made a huge difference. Interesting. Primarily how visual. would they have been aware because they could, they could see. see stuff going on that was scary. Ah. But they they may not have necessarily been aware of their 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 existential uh, yes. uh, end. It's just that they're they're right. they're hardwired. So they're more be, visceral, right? They're, they're, they're hardwired visceral. to be scared of things. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that without cool. necessarily the, the the bigger context, but yeah. they're afraid of, like you said, a flag, chains. chains dang yeah, it was the chains dangling or moving right. or things flapping. Sure, the, it's uh, just these are things that trigger. Sure, there's some auditory things as well that they're afraid of i think so yeah. you know you know my dog was pretty uh it's it's funny because he had that surgery right and so going to the vet has never been a problem for him and our vet out in sherwood park two gentlemen very very nice 
But uh, when we went back for the stitch removal and I tried to get him into the uh, the room where he'd had the surgery, he was not having it. He was like, so they do, they, 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 they conceptualize that they, they recognize experience, right? Well, put him in a little uh, imagination, imagination, examination room. No problem. Perfectly fine. Well, and uh, so one of the examples she gave was like with horses where um, horses, if they were treated poorly by somebody wearing a black cowboy hat, right? Uh, the solution, wear a white cowboy hat. Like, so they, so visual right. that it's not the person necessarily, sure. it's the it's yeah. the aesthetic. Yeah, they're looking for some kind of, of trigger thing that they recognize, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's some horses. That, I would say the actual solution is don't mistreat horses. Well, that, that is, hat you're wearing. That is a good, but yeah. but she was able to prove right. that people that had been mistreated by, sure. you know, that, that horses would be scared. So of. animals are so much more smart, smart, so much more smart. Great English. So much smarter than we give them credit, credit for. for. Have you ever seen that? It's a great video of the bear that sees itself in a mirror. They have a mirror hanging in the forest somewhere. It's a black bear, I think. I think I saw part and this of this bear comes trundling along and sees this reflection, and the bear totally loses it. <laughs> it goes nuts. First of all, it, I don't know how big a bear it is, but it's pretty nimble in terms of how high it jumps, like out of like shock, and then it proceeds to just beat the living crap out of this mirror, tears it off the the tree, and then it kind of just trundles off. But it is very funny. Well, I, I remember uh, I remember seeing something about mirrors, and, but a different aspect of the same issue, and and it's like so some animals see the other the other mm. the image and they respond to it like they've never seen themselves before. Right, right. So uh, they see a, a different animal. Sure. Uh, whereas crows and magpies, yeah. they are able to tell that it's them. And elephants. And elephants. They yeah. call this the theory of uh, theory of self. Self, yeah. Right? Which again, yeah, mind blowing. That's right? pretty cool. Yeah, because I've read about what they do with the elephant. They'll put like I haven't a, heard about elephants, but yeah. So what they do with the elephant is they'll put like like a band aid on it or something, right, on its head, like a even if it's like just duct tape, not duct tape, but like masking tape. Right? They'll put an X, and then they'll show the elephant the mirror, and the elephant reaches out where this thing is on its own head to like, it'd be kind of like, what the same as if you saw what weird thing on your head, you, but what the frick is this now? The elephant's like, what the hell? Well, for me, it's usually, that's how they're inferring. I look in the mirror and go like, my wife let me look, go out, outside looking like this. That's like, how I they, got this big chunk of, I don't know, food on my beard. And it's like, so I, I don't know how the crows, how they determine that the crows and the ravens can do it. Uh, maybe they do the same thing, put a little sticker on it. No, they, yeah, they did something so that it was clear that the that the the raven or the crow uh, had recognizes to be, recognized hey. that it was this is where they are, right? Sure. So now, in a way, that makes sense if you think about it. Those birds do probably look at drink water and see their reflection. Elephants too. So there's opportunity for that to happen, but that connection of that's me. Yeah. I mean, this is mind blowing. That the whole, is the that, whole concept of me. As opposed to just programming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whew, I wonder if spiders recognize themselves. 
<laughs> they just carried themselves. Oh, it's a great kid story to write. The spider who was afraid of spiders. The spider is that it was him. Yeah. And then Miss Muffet killed it with her spoon. Anyway, so that should have been afraid of spoons. So Temple <laughs> Temple Grandin is quite uh, is quite well known as being a quite a famous autistic person. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and used it. And used it and and basically has kind of shone a light on the different ways that people learn. So visual versus pattern versus kind of verbal. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was trying to think about whether I was, I'm definitely not the verbal one. I'm probably more of a pattern or visual, definitely visual for sure. Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. When I I used to study, and even to this day, I find... uh, it was very time consuming, but I would transcribe chapters out of te- textbooks by mm-hmm. hand and, and recreate all of the diagrams. And somehow that's what I needed. So that maybe it was a, maybe there was an element of, of sort that of pattern physical, like writing it hand to mind or yeah, something. Yeah. But if I just read it, I'd have a harder time. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, so that's it for Temple Grandin. So cool. there you go. Learned something new uh, this week. Yeah. Um, what media have you been? Mm. Well, we started watching Loki season two. Oh yeah. So we got through the first four episodes or first three. Yeah. We actually had gone back and rewatched. <laughs> it turns out that whenever we watched the second episode, I had, uh, it was probably late on a Friday night. And I think what happened is I started watching it. You fell asleep, fell asleep woke up. Caught a few minutes in the middle, fell asleep again, and then remember waking up at the end and being totally confused. So we, we rewatch it, and I'm like, "Who's that guy?" Like, "Oh my god!" There's a whole element, like many that I totally did not know about. Uh, so it was actually the smart move to go back and rewatch because episode three, I would have just been like, "I don't know what the hell's going on." So good, enjoying it. Um, reading Jack Reacher. Okay, I got some Reacher novels for. For, for Christmas. For, for Christmas. Nice. And uh, waiting for episode five of the Reacher series to come out. I've only watched uh, episode one. It was good. but And I'm watching uh, Star, Star Wars Rebels slowly. Oh, yeah. Because you, you flag that coming out of the Ahsoka. Yeah, it was really good. And, uh, it, it is good. It's surprisingly good. Consider, and it gets better as it goes yeah. along. The, uh, and, the, like, and, and it kind of speeds up. Because initially okay. it's a little slower, it's and then it moving. gets yeah, and it gets faster and. So faster. I think I'm on episode five or six of season one. Yeah, but uh, can't remember how many seasons good. there are. Yeah, maybe three and a half. Or... And you? Well, uh, so uh, we watched season two of Slow Horses. Okay, yeah, you mentioned this. Um, I, I I'm not sure if I mentioned season two or season one. Uh, that's really good. It's it's like like you can. Like uh, Gary Oldman, who is the uh, he plays uh, Jackson Lamb, who's the the MI five guy from this place called Slough House. Okay, and uh, uh, basically these are all the rejects from MI five. Okay, and uh, but it's how these rejects can actually accomplish stuff. Okay, so MI five is the internal internal ministry. one. MI six yeah. is like uh, the James CIA. And, um, and, uh, what does MI4 do? I don't know. Paperwork. (laughs) 
Wow. So, uh, but but uh, Gary Oldman is so convincing, and he's, he's supposed to be this character that nobody likes, um, and he's in charge of this slough house, and um, but he's like disheveled. He drinks. He wears like dirty clothes. Oh, you were mentioning this. And you, and you can you kind can of almost, almost smell. Yeah, and it yeah, turns yeah, out yeah. Gary Oldman is. Uh, you know, does this hair himself, and he had to gain weight for the role and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, so that's what he I want. He is, it's funny you should mention him, because I was just watching a YouTube video a couple yesterday and today, some interview that he's doing. I don't even remember who's being, but he's talking about things like uh, he was not happy with his performance in Harry Potter. Okay. Sirius Black, his wife says he's being ridiculous, but Alan Rickman who had struck up more of a friendship with J.K. Rowling had been privy to the books before they were published. So Rickman uh-huh. was able to see like the manuscripts. Where it was that, going. Right? And so he had more of a sense of his character, whereas Oldman saying, I don't really know much about, you know, so we're kind of doing it as we went. And he goes, if I'd known more, I'd have played it differently. But he was talking about Christopher Nolan and the relationship they had doing the Batman. Right. Right. And, and this was really cool. He said, uh, over the seven years, he goes, he really only ever gave me like two like notes. So Christopher Nolan apparently is quite hands off. Like he trusts the actors. I thought this was brilliant. He said they were doing a scene. He didn't describe exactly which one. And all Christopher Nolan came up and said, the stakes are higher. That's all he said. Let's do it again. The stakes are higher. And Oldman's like, so I totally understood I didn't need to know all the backstory. Just, okay, I got to put more, more physical, like just embody that whole, you know, I'm like, that is brilliant to be able to do. First of all, that somebody could just say that, but then as an actor to be able to be like, okay, I'm just going to do it again and I'll subtly, whatever it is, just be able to demonstrate that seriousness, that, that sense of, of more, uh, gravitas to me is fascinating. That is an amazing thing. Very cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing I've been watching is uh, Silo. Silo. Yeah. So Silo, uh, and it has Rebecca Ferguson in it, who is an an actress who uh, I mean she's quite compelling, mm-hmm. um, and uh, she is in Dune. She is the mom in Dune. Okay. She is also she's in a whole bunch of things. Okay. Like, uh, she was she was in uh, the uh, latest Mission Impossible. Oh, okay. She's a female character. Okay. And uh, not the Haley Atwell character, obviously. No. Right. And uh, so yeah, I think she was the. Uh, I think she's the former friend or former, like, anyway. Did you watch Mission Impossible? I've watched some of them. I haven't watched no them. the last one. No, I haven't watched the last one. So last one, it, it relates to the previous. Right. Uh, Is it good? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was really good. Um, so I have to watch Fast X. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna try and see if I could find the Marvels, um, but that doesn't come out till February. So that has lost a lot of money. Well, <laughs> they're saying it might have been, it may have lost three hundred million, and I, I well, so, so actually, have you seen it? No, I have not seen it, but I have to say that I'm uh, currently also watching the latest season of What If. Yes, I haven't started that yet. And 
oh my god i can understand the mcu has totally jumped the shark because uh they are kind of carrying on as if nothing has changed but they have made well the, to the, be fair the, they probably made what if 18 months ago yeah but it, but the thing is is that it's uh the thing is is that it's uh it's just so complicated like they've made so you know you look at the star wars universe and they kind of create these you know and they've made their own mistakes in the star wars universe. oh yeah well but, disney for sure but but <laughs> it's kind of like this character does that and this is the storyline for that mm -hmm. so they'll do this fan service related to those Right. those characters and they can kind of uh, do that but now but with what in the mcu and i i figure out i figured out or at least in my opinion what the problem is with the mcu as soon as they started introducing the whole multiverse concept it sounded interesting right but now is all these possibilities of sure the characters coming back and doing this and what it means is that it becomes super complicated yep. really fast. So you think the Daredevil's like this, but Daredevil in a different universe is wearing a different outfit and yes. has a different lifestyle. And 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 you have all you know, like with Spider-Man, with the, I mean they use the multiverse to try and identify why there's three different Spider-Man. Right. And which now, if you're a Spider-Man guy. That sounds cool initially. Cool. But then all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, where do you go? Do you go on this Spider-Man or this Spider-Man or this Spider-Man? Sure. And, uh, and what if is all about exploring different possibilities in the multiverse where something different is, has sure. happened. And, you know, the stories individually which is, are which fine. Which they invented in both Marvel comic books and, and DC. Yeah. At one point, because of exactly that, there was because, too many complications, and they're like, "Well, there's how do we make it all make sense? Right? How do we make it all make sense? How do we deal with characters that are dead that we still want to have stories associated exactly. with those characters?" Mm -hmm. So they created this MacGuffin, right, to try and deal with that, which, which is the decades later turns out, based on quantum physics, may actually be true, right? But neither here nor there. But what it <laughs> what it really creates is that people need to study up on the characters before they can watch the the movie. And, and you it, know what? That's exactly. So there's this guy, Ryan Airy, who does uh, screen crush uh, commentaries and he's a huge fan, right? Like that, that all these YouTubers who do these channels usually are at the heart fan. And that's exactly what he said. People don't, the average person or even the casual fan don't want to have to do a lot of homework before they go see a movie. Right. right? I and mean, that's been part of the problem. Part like, of the problem. Who's that and who's this? And what and what the MCU typically does, especially what if, is it basically jumps right into the story. Right. And it's kind of like what is going on? What's who's and you're that? going like what's going on? So like uh and what if every single episode it kind of jumps in and tells a story. What if so and so happens, right? And and then they tell a story and you're going like I don't really understand that character well enough to be able to know what, how the significance is. So for me, I'm sitting here going like, <laughs> to this Disney is kind of, plus what if it's Marvel's kind of, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That'd be the next, <laughs> next series. What if, yeah. what if not? Yeah. Like uh, now your point about star Wars though, I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. So they've got the, and yes, they have made some mistakes, but if you look at the star Wars, so they have the Star Wars universe. Right. And they just keep only one. And they keep just right. fitting in. Pieces. So you look at Andor yeah. and, and even uh, Rogue One. Yeah. Totally standalone. Yeah. Right. It's happening in a part 
of the universe, which is really no different than reality, where you're like, oh, here's a detective story, you know, set in London. Yeah. Right? It's on Earth. I get that. Yeah. Doesn't have any impact on what's happening in New York. Or, yep. Right. So it makes for, so they've kind of shot themselves in the foot where they're like trying to. They've overcomplicated it to yeah. be able to tell all these stories. Fans do love some fans, the, the, the complexity, but that's why there's comic books and people will buy every single book and cross-reference. And Well, the MCU yeah. was good. For a point, and then it got. They kept introducing more and more and more characters, and then it got Hubris. too complicated. Right. Anyway, I, I, at least that's what I. Well, think. I I know they're trying to save it. I just heard that they're talking about doing Nomad, which would bring back Tony, Natasha, and and Steve, but they would set it before in that period of time between, uh, um, Civil War and, uh, Infinity War. Right. So as a way to kind of try to get people back. So, but, I mean, it's, but, but it's these salvageable. Act, these actors are so much older now, right? Like, well, who cares? De-age them all. De-age them. Um, uh, throw a bag of money at them. They'll do it. Um, so I think it's salvageable, but I think, and we'll see if Feige can pull it off. Cause I think you're right. If they just go back to more standalone stories, well, I think that where you can bring people together, but not quite as, as interwoven with right? the the whole mythology. Yeah. yeah, just just keep it simple. Keep yeah. keep because Echo is coming out. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be quite adult content oriented. Kingpin beating the man to death with his bare hands, uh, and Vincent did not. Because I mean, the actors are phenomenal. Right, characters are well written. They just need to keep focused on the stories and yeah. and 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 make the stories complete so that you don't have to know everything about right. this character beforehand. You could even do now the DCEU is dead because they were running into a bit of the same problem. Maybe they uh, dodged a bullet there. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. That's it for this week. <clears throat> uh, we'll figure out what we're talking about next week. Yeah, absolutely. And, or who? Or who? Yeah, Nicholas Tesla. Who is also autistic. There you, there you go. <laughs> anyway, have a really great week. You I'll too, talk, man. Talk to you later. Bye.